Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Automated, an Occupy IR Theory podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm so glad to be with you again. Uh, seems we're doing these shows a little more uh, frequently of late. I'm super glad. I am not on Patreon because um, it would be an embarrassment to be asking you guys for money for shows that, um, you know, three or four of them show up in uh, a month (laughs) and then you don't hear from me again for a couple of months. Um, But it is um, it is a a, a casual enterprise for me. If you guys want to throw money at a Patreon podcaster, a real professional, I uh, strongly endorse the idea of giving it to uh, the one, the only um, Adam Proctor. Doctor, uh, hardest working guy I know in this business. You know, we had him on the show there a couple of weeks ago and uh, still thinking about those episodes, still thinking about the things that we talked about and the provocations that came from that conversation, uh, I think are even more powerful and even more important as we enter into these uh, interregnum weeks, uh, the period between where Donald Trump is going to be, uh, you know, basically turfed out uh, by the electorate and then turfed out by the institutions in January. So yeah, we have this lame duck uh, intercessionary period right now. And um, the discourse is really interesting to follow. Uh, I'm certainly blown away by the overwhelmingly strong reaction um, uh, I've had from uh, listeners and uh, even people I, you know, new listeners. to the last episode we had here, that that was that little short episode I did last week, which was a, an audio essay. Uh, the reaction to that was was crazy. I've I've never ever done an episode that that had a reaction like that. So I must be t- doing something right or something really wrong. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the reaction is uh, and an, an, the the positive reaction that I'm perceiving could be quite an illusion, and it just put people right off. But no, I'm kidding. The uh, the Twitter feedback and everything seems to be very, very positive. So um, I might start doing more of those uh, short, um, rapid-fire audio essay episodes. Um, I enjoy blogging anyway, and I do actually have a blog that I've been working on for for some time now about the um, the, the, the 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 whiteness of securitization theory and IR. Um, it's been a long time cooking that one. Um, I had hoped to have um, some of the protagonists of that uh, controversy on the show, and I may yet do that. Um, So I've been keeping the powder dry on that blog post for a while, but um, it's actually people are very busy, understandably, and it's hard sometimes to to get people to come on a show. Um, One request I would have of listeners uh, of this show uh, is that if you do like what you hear, Uh, Maybe retweet um, the announcements for the episodes uh, on Twitter or uh, post them on your Facebook or uh, even better, uh, just, you know, throw us out a positive review on iTunes or Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast feed. you know, it, it uh, again, this is not a professional show. It's a hobby show, but it would be nice to spread the word um, and uh, and hopefully um, thereby raise the profile of the show a little bit so we might even be able to get um, more exciting guests uh, down the road. Uh, You know, just raising the profile of the show does raise its legitimacy, its credibility, and uh, it allows me uh, to uh, ask people to come on the show um, 
who I might not otherwise have the clout uh, to invite on. So anyway, on with the show here. I've got a great guest for you guys uh, for this episode. Today, we have a recent interview I did with Vanessa Bilanchetti. Vanessa is a lecturer in political sociology at the online university Uni Nutuno in Italy. Uh, her research interests include the European Union, financialization, feminist political economy, and critical European studies. I'm super excited about this interview. I think you'll understand why in just a moment. Uh, I should say that I met Vanessa at an online conference this summer, one of the few that actually took place this summer. This one was held by the Critical Political Economy Research Network. It was a conference originally supposed to take place in Limerick. In the end, it went online. But Vanessa was presenting a paper there called How to Study the Commodification of Social Services Following a Gender Perspective. Between sessions, we got talking about Foucault and how he is used in political economy. And I found Vanessa's take on the inherent compatibilities between Foucault and Marx to be really interesting. She later sent me some of her research, which I read, and well, that's when I decided to have her on for a chat. So she's an advocate of allowing the methods of Foucault and uh, and what she calls an anti-essentialist Marxism to come together with a critical feminist political economy approach. So in this interview, you're going to hear me ask her to elaborate on that. We're going to talk about the case studies she presents in her published work on the European Fiscal Compact. And I'm very grateful uh, to Vanessa for, for coming on the show, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, listeners, we are here today with uh, Vanessa Bilanchetti, professor of political sociology at Uninatuno University in Rome. Uh, Vanessa, have I pronounced your name correctly or have I completely butchered it? Bilanchetti, almost. Bilanchetti. Okay, I yeah. will hope that I have Perfect. pronounced that correctly. You say it a lot better than me. So anyway, welcome to the show, Vanessa. I'm super glad you could join us. We've actually been... Uh, planning this for some time. Uh, we talked a little bit at a conference uh, over the summer, one of the few conferences that actually took place uh, in this context of coronavirus. So um, I think what connected us then was uh, that we were both presenting research on Foucault and uh, political economy, which uh, regular listeners to this show will know that um, people like me have a have a lot to say about that topic, but but uh, not everyone necessarily does. Um, I'm super excited that you do, however, and I know Foucault is an important thinker for re your your uh, your research, um, but you're perhaps not uh, uncritical of how he tends to be used in uh, international relations and and IPE. So maybe we can just start out there today. Um, what for you does it mean to, to, to use Foucault in these disciplines? Um, probably your, your work fits as part of this uh, scholarly enterprise we, we like to call governmentality studies. So, you know, what are we getting right about Foucault in governmentality studies and perhaps what are we getting wrong about it? Yes. So thank you very much for having me in the show. I'm very happy as well to to be here and um, 
to talk about um, a part of my research. So we met, um, uh, yes, in June, and at, at the um, critical political economy um, uh, network um, seminar, midterm seminar, and um, that I have to say it was really good um, um, seminar to have online, and I think um, it was very nice to uh, to listen to your paper and to have a conversation about um, Foucault in a um, seminar where uh, we were actually in a framework of uh, Neo-Gramscian uh, studies. So uh, we met because we were trying to work on this interrelation between Foucault and Gramsci in international studies, but I have to say, or to say better, about between neo-Foucaultian neo use of uh, governmentality and biopolitics and the, hetero and the meeting with the heterodox uh, Marxism, that is not only Gramsci, uh, but also uh, a different use of uh, Marx. And um, I have to say, probably there are not so many scholars trying to do this. And um, as we know, usually when you try to mix uh, or uh, find interconnection between uh, Foucault and uh, heterodox Marxism, you will be criticized uh, firstly by Foucauldian uh, and then by um, Marxist. And so, why? Well, first, um, uh, because there is um, uh, a certain use of Foucault, and that's what we are going to talk about more in depth today, that is um, a use of Foucault that is, uh, well, we could say, I don't know, uh, postmodernist. Um, many, so Marxists would say that Foucault is a postmodern uh, author and uh, for that we cannot that is not for this reason it's not interesting and uh, um and we have to admit that a certain use of foucault is uh, problematic and uh, main uh, and uh, we'll go back on this so uh, we are using foucault in a certain um, uh, discipline that is international uh, relations so we are uh, looking at um, Foucault, um, starting from his uh, studies on uh, governmentality, where he um, has, where he stops uh, uh, using only discourse as a, his main category of analysis, uh, and uh, he jumps uh, to the use of uh, gover uh, governmentality. And this is interesting because when he goes uh, into governmentality. Um, he's looking at institutions, but also institutions related to the state. And already this, for many Foucauldian, will be absolutely absurd. Mm? So already to say that Foucault is looking at the state. Because we know many times that Foucault in it, uh, himself, uh, he denies that he's looking at, uh, he's taking into consideration the state. But if we read, uh, um, he's the two lectures about uh, biopolitics, uh, we know that uh, what he's doing is 
looking on how what he calls the art of government. So going around the state and looking at, at uh, the executive power. So how the state is actually used, is actually developing his power beyond the, um, the framework of the legal, the legal power. And this is uh, actually still quite interesting for us, even more at the moment when we are looking at international institutions, because when we look at the international, we, we are looking at international institutions, we are looking at relation, relations between states and their power on another level that is not simply the national level. So we need to go beyond the state in itself, as Foucault was doing already in the late 70s, at the beginning actually of the 70s. So we can use a part of it, these studies, these studies for, for, uh, for these reasons. In, uh, but there are three, uh, three main points that are problematic in what uh, we can define international governmentality studies. Maybe we need to first define what international governmentality studies are. Uh, so international governmentality, governmentality has been used widely, as we know, uh, and especially in the 90s has been used uh, for looking at uh, the transformation of, um, of the state and of the welfare state, uh, especially in the European state. And I think it was a very um, useful uh, way of using uh, Foucault and uh, governmentality and biopolitics. Um, and very effective, uh, especially to look at uh, the transformation of the welfare state from welfare state to workfare state uh, in uh, the in the United Kingdom, in France, uh, and also in Germany, and then later in Italy or Spain and so on. And um, in in two thousand, uh, in um, the later last decade, we have seen Foucault used uh, uh, as well in the international to study the international institutions. So here, um, two th two things are problematic. Foucault um, here because uh, um, studying the international institute, jumping Foucault from a national to an international scale. Uh, has meant that Foucault has been used worldwide. But Foucault has looked mainly, he has developed his categories looking at France mainly and the European states. So when we look at, uh, when we use Foucault for the international level, we need to remember that Foucault was studying uh, the European states. And we cannot generalize his categories uh, worldwide when he, the especially governmentality and biopolitics have been studied on the European state. We we need to take this like quite into consideration. So my uh, and I think this is quite important. So my use actually of Foucault is in fact uh, of governmentality, especially it's in fact uh, to study the European Union. And I think to study the European institutions is quite, it, it might be quite effective and quite interesting. Uh, rather than uh, to use uh, governmentality, I don't know, um, in uh, uh, in the uh, developing countries, uh, it, it could be uh, problematic somehow. Mm. Yeah, I, I, but, I, there's a whole debate about this, of course, uh, exactly. with uh, 
some people you cite in your readings, uh, Jonathan Joseph comes to mind uh, as a great uh, sort of commentator on that very point that you've raised. Um, so you've made this observation that, uh, you know, your work is focusing on, um, in true Foucauldian spirit, on on European states. And of course, European states uh, are currently many of them being reconfigured in the context of their membership of the European Union uh, post-financial crisis. Uh, the uh, particular focus in uh, the two pieces I've looked at uh, of your work uh, are the, the paradox of uh, the, 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 the desire to balance budgets in a time of ubiquitous debt, right? Like, so obviously states in order to govern must have debt, but to uh, be members of the European Union, on the other hand, they have to have this sort of performance of a balanced budget. So um, this leads us to your sort of central focus, which is the new economic governance or the NEG. So, Perhaps I can just invite you to talk us through this paradox. How, what is this NEG? How did it emerge? And of course, uh, many listeners aren't going to be super familiar with uh, the, the the sort of precise institutional terms of this, the various things like the European semester, the six pack, the two pack. There's a lot of these sort of references, and I'm not sure if they want to make me go to the store and buy a beer or mm -hmm. um, go to the gym and work out. But we have the six pack, the two pack, the Treaty on European Stability, Coordination and Governance. Um, these are all maybe very new terms for people. So I don't know, is there a, is there a quick, cheap and dirty way to, to introduce listeners to, uh, to these terms? Yeah, so I've been working with Jonathan Joseph and definitely that's where my um, inspiration uh, on the critique of the use of Foucault comes from. And there are, um, uh, to finish on that uh, and go quickly on the new economic governance, uh, sure, I wanted absolutely. to add, uh, we have two other problems on the use of Foucault in the international governmentality studies. And one is the fact that um, uh, we um, that actually, especially on the use of Foucault on the state level, we have been seeing a use of Foucault that looks only on the micro level, right? On the singularity uh, and the micro level, and uh, uh, the plurality of resistances, or um, and um, that is quite interesting. On the other hand, I think that uh, when we look at uh, power and uh, also resistance to power, we need to look at articulation. So how these micro resistance can articulate and connect uh, themselves. And I do think here, that, and we will uh, come back to this, there is a problem in uh, Foucault writing uh, um, itself. Uh, and uh, another thing, and I think though the other and quite interesting um, point of Foucault uh, is the relation between knowledge and power. Hmm? So what um, what really, and I think this will always be uh, something we need uh, to look at, and uh, we will always be thankful somehow to this author is the relation between uh, knowledge and power. Uh, on the other hand, um, we need to connect this um, these relation in the socioeconomic uh, context. Uh, and uh, so um, to look at the new economic governance, uh, these limits we will see, they come, um, they return back quite insistently. 
So the new economic governance in the European Union is uh, the institutional answer of uh, the European Union to the economic economic and cri- uh, financial crisis uh, of 2008-2011. So the um, is the answer of the European Union to the fact that the euro was almost breaking down. And uh, we had uh, in um, two, uh, two, three years, the um, approval of uh, this different set of reforms. So the um, first, the, the European semester, the six-pack, the two-pack, uh, and then uh, what is, uh, is quite famous as the um, uh, fiscal compact, that is the Treaty on um, uh, Coordination and Governance. That is the one I have been looking at during my PhD, mainly. So the, all these sets of reform, they mainly say one thing. That is, you need to keep your uh, budget in balance. You need to have less and less debt. This is the main point of all these incredible set of reforms. It's not <laughs> So nothing new, actually. Uh, for the European Union. So that, what is in- interesting is uh, that uh, if we compare it with the US, um, at the same time, uh, the US and the United Kingdom were spending money and uh, they were putting money into the market. At the same time, the European Union in the first uh, years, so 2008 to 2009, was sort of letting... Uh, um, it allowed to um, to spend money on uh, um, saving banks, but on the other hand, uh, it was uh, um, voting reforms to uh, stop any sort of increasing of public debt. So there was no possibility, especially for the southern and uh, eastern. Um, well, here the southern uh, countries, uh, part of the European of the euro system, to spend money on welfare reforms. And we know now in the COVID uh, era, in the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. how much this has impacted on um, on the welfare state uh, for uh, what it concerns to the health system, uh, to the school system, sure. and the education system, and transport system. Mm-hmm. So, um, on the other hand, so it did not, um, the new economic governance has also uh, increased the level of control that is possible um, for, the, uh, for the European Commission to have on the European states in different uh, forms. So, there is a vertical um, capacity of con- uh, of control mm-hmm. from the European Commission to the European uh, member states, and this means that now um, the European Commission can control the um, the budget of any uh, of any state uh, at any uh, point. And this is the moment. Uh, this is the Europe with the European semester. The European states need to. Um, when they are thinking about their uh, new budget, so that is actually now in October and November, mm-hmm. each European state is voting for the new um, for the new uh, financial law uh, of the year. Needs firstly in the first place needs to 
discuss the the program with the European Commission. Okay. And then is allowed to vote the law in the in its um, in, in its national parliament. Okay. And then, um, and so the, the European the European semester is a cycle of control uh, that the European Commission is now able to um, so it's a, uh, to go on during the entire year, controlling ex ante and ex post the entire uh, the entire um, financial uh, law, uh, the, the entire financial and uh, economic law of the. Um, uh, of each European state. Okay. On the other hand, uh, there are other um, way of horizontal control. So there are uh, national institutions that are taking uh, the um, that are taking uh, the, um, the, the there are controlling uh, the state on uh, in the state. Uh, um, for uh, for the um, for the European Commission somehow, and um, in this case here we have uh, what um, um, the um, the fiscal councils uh, the fiscal councils that are actually national institutions, but they control they control that uh, the budget is at the level of the uh, is at the level. Um, uh, set by the European institutions, right? So mm. this is the new. So the new economic governance is this uh, set of reforms uh, that actually are. Um, um, there are somehow nothing new as uh, the um, uh, are, are somehow nothing new from one from the one hand of the Maastricht of what was set by the Maastricht Treaty and the Stability and Growth Pact. On the other end, they are quite increasingly the power. They are increasing uh, the power of the European Commission on uh, on the member states. Very good, very good. Okay, so um, just following on from that, then there's a lot to uh, sort of unpack, I suppose, at the theoretical level. One of the sort of ways you ident were identifying your work uh, at the outset of this interview was in relationship to a certain kind of uh, Gramscian reading of the European Union. Um, I know a lot of that work has lately been expressed in and around the um, area of research that sometimes gets called uh, authoritarian neoliberalism. Uh, it's a very sort of popular field of research right now. Um, you seem to imply in your work that these kinds of readings only ever really sort of tend to capture just one dimension of the NEG. Uh, whereas for you, we have to kind of work a little harder to capture the, on the one hand, what you call like the governmental, then also these disciplinary, and then also these finally biopolitical uh, modes. So we have a kind of a more multimodal reading. Uh, I was wondering if I could just ask you what's at stake for you in this kind of uh, orientation. You 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 want to capture all these different modes in your work. Um, how, how could a, a reader that was maybe unfamiliar with this terrain begin to understand what's at stake for you in those say three different types of power relation that are uh, being worked on here? So yes. So after the. Um the new economic governance, a lot of scholars have started to say that the European Union was 
becoming more and more authoritarian. And I do agree. Mm-hmm. The, the new economic governance is not just a reaffirmation of uh, the Maastricht Treaty or the <laughs> yes, Stability and Growth yes. Pact, but is um, in, in, in the, the European Commission is getting more power and more power of control and uh, more power and more discre- discretional power. So the, the European Commission is able to decide when uh, when to fine or not to fine a European state. So this is why a lot of... Um, oh, one of the reasons why a lot of authors have started to say that the... Uh, the European Union is becoming um, more and more authoritarian. On the other hand, we can see beyond this reading of um, the uh, authoritarian neoliberalism that first is they are not like they are taking the European Union as right. the, uh, as an example of the entire world, uh-huh. and um, that I do see there is. A new author- we, we we know there is an, a new authoritarian uh, turn in the entire world, but maybe it's not happening everywhere in the same way. Right. Uh, and this is the same reason why we have a problem of internationalizing Foucault, right? It's uh-huh. a, sort of, hmm, a sort of the same uh, um, methodological uh, reason behind. On the other hand, authoritarian neoliberalism is also somehow... Uh, sometimes uh, referring to an idea that it has always been uh, neoliberalism, it has always been authoritarian. We just see it right, like, but at this moment, uh, we just see it openly. It was authoritarian even before, but we just couldn't see it because it was um, covered uh, behind uh, <laughs> liberalism. And uh, so, that uh, I I don't know if I com- uh, I, I cannot uh, completely agree on that. Uh-huh. Um, uh, even though I think there is a lot of interesting studies around uh, neo authoritarian neoliberalism, and uh, I think as well that uh, it has opened uh, an interesting um, discussion on sure, the, sure. in the discipline. Um, so on the other hand, I think, and this is b- uh, coming back to the idea of. Um, uh, connecting uh, Gramsci and Foucault. Mm, what uh, uh, to look at the European uh, Union or any other institution? Looking at in two ways. So why some programs are uh, on, on the one hand through Foucault we can look, we can look on how some programs or institutions uh, work. But on, and on the other hand, uh, with Gramsci and some uh, what a, a, a heterodox use of Marx, uh, mm-hmm. we can re- look at why some work, uh, some programs or institutions are working uh, like this. So um, this is uh, this is a way of asking ourselves two sorts of questions that are actually somehow necessary when mm-hmm. we are uh, looking at um, international institutions and at the same time at uh, or at state, uh, state level. Um, so asking uh, these two, uh, two uh, questions, and we, and we know that actually uh, scholars uh, using Foucault 
would tell you that we cannot ask any sort of uh, why questions uh, because course, that would yeah. uh, essentialize uh, <laughs> our uh, study. And on the other hand, uh, a lot of uh, Marxist um, uh, scholars will tell you that, uh, um, well, once we know a reason why something is happening, uh, we already know everything. Uh, so there is okay. no reason to look <laughs> at uh, uh, on uh, how uh, a program is working uh, if yeah. we know that uh, uh, its um, its reason is intrinsically uh, is simply that because it is intrinsically capitalist uh, capitalist. Mm-hmm. So uh, we need to move uh, between these two um, these two um, let's say in, now. Um, these two uh, problems that we have. Um, so on the how question, we I do think uh, we have uh, the new economic governance uh, um, and other also international programs that we have at the moment. Uh, we can look at them uh, as government, government, governmental, disciplinary, and biopolitical at the same time. Yeah, I have to say I don't think. I'm saying anything new to Foucault, actually, because Foucault yeah. uh, already he's saying that this that uh, bio um, that governmentality is not erasing um, the discipline. So once we are in a governmental uh, era, we are not. It's just uh, um, uh, it's on the top of the discipline. So disciplinary institutions are still working in governmental states um, and with biopolitical policies. So um, what we can see also today is the fact that these three methods of governance are, or uh, art of government, if we want to use a Foucaultian language, are being used at the same time uh, in different way uh, in different European states or in different European programs. And so I'm looking uh, in my studies only at the new economic governance, so to the economic uh, um, programs. But if we look at uh, uh, the migration programs, we will see how the... um, Mixing of biopolitical, disciplinary, and neo uh, and um, governmental pro, uh, methods uh, are interrelated even more than in the economic programs. So, in any case, in both um, in both uh, at the moment, we are seeing a turn towards more and more disciplinary uh, programs. So more controls on people, more controls on uh, states, more control on institutions. And this is why we can talk about a new authoritarian uh, turn, Right. actually. Yeah, yeah, I know that's really well said. I um, I, 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 very, very taken with that description um, because I, I think, you know, it, it, in my own work, uh, I, I also try to figure out uh why i agree with authoritarian neoliberalism but in a kind of a hesitating way because i feel like it's not the full story 
also want to sort of um, take a moment to situate you on your scholarship in relationship to uh, not just the discipline of international relations, but to what we might call, I suppose, the, the discipline of uh, European um, integration studies. Um, and, and this is an, an also an opportunity to cross-refer to the way you use um, a certain approach to thinking about social causality in your work. So I notice, for example, repetitive mention in your work of the notion of machines and indeed you refer to the idea of a fiscal governance machine and uh, you do this as a sort of a way of um, distinguishing your research from the typical European integration approach which is typically sort of based on notions of spillover looking for sort of inherent functional logics or intergovernmental logics um, of course those kinds of approaches sort of tend to look at, um, you know, lines of development with specific breaks or specific disjunctures and then more lines of development again along different functional lines perhaps. But, but uh, you know, with, with your own approach, you seem to have um, this, this focus on the machine. Uh, what, what does that give you, you as someone interested in power? What does the machine do for you? Yeah. Uh, so let's start from European integration studies. So I've started mm -hmm. to look at uh, when I was starting my PhD. I was I decided to I don't, for no reason I, <laughs> to start <laughs> to, to work on the European Union. And yeah. uh, no, because it was um, the crisis, and I thought, okay, this is interesting uh, moment to study the European Union. And even because I thought. The European Union is an institution much less, um, um, it's much more open than uh, a European state that it's, um, that it's there since 200 years and everything mm. is decided and the, the state is the state. There is nothing, <laughs> there is nothing to decide, uh, probably. And it, to me, at that moment, it looked that the European Union was much a more open question, no? a more, more open uh, issue. Yes. And, um, and then I arrived to study the European studies and I was quite, mm, I don't <laughs> know, I was quite astonished that because there everything is already, uh, done. It's already, it's as it is that the European yeah. Union, yeah, it's uh, there since uh, 50 years and there is nothing else to say, it looks like. So we have the, the European studies are divided in these two, in this big debate that is uh, this somehow uh, quite a repetitive debate, even um, that is between neo-functionalism and intergovernmentalism. So. Uh, rather, the European Union is the sum of the states, or the, is the European Union an inter uh, super national institution? And, um, and we can have different, um, um, different solutions to that. And uh, I do think that uh, if we stay to that, with that debate, and this debate has been repeated also during the uh, the crisis, and, um, the economic and financial crisis that mm -hmm. has hit the European Union tremendously, right? And the and I think the European integration studies have been completely unable to answer 
to the questions of the European of the crisis uh, of the financial crisis, and they have repeated the same uh, um, disciplinary debate uh, instead of opening up to other. Uh, ideas to other critical uh, uh, authors, uh, to other uh, possibility of looking at uh, at um, institutions. So it has all, at the same time, but beyond uh, European studies, so much more in international political economy or international relations. We have a debate on the European Union uh, that is looking at. Um, Critical, uh, critical ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And even there, we have different uh, approach. Uh, that one is more Foucauldian, and the other one is more uh, Neo Gramscian. Let's say, as um, to give that uh, an idea. But yeah. beyond, uh, uh, as outside of European studies, we have started to have a discussion that is actually critical European studies, and uh, it's quite interesting that is uh, it has not been developed inside the European studies, but outside in international relations and international political economy. Hmm. So, um, and this, and I think this is quite, uh, it has a lot to to deal with how, well, um, the academic debate uh, about the European Union is um, is being formed. Um, is being formed, and it has a lot to say about as well how this new crisis, uh, how we are going to deal with this new crisis then, that we are living. But maybe we'll talk about it sure. uh, later. Mm-hmm. So, so this is the main problem in the European studies. So, how to study the European Union from a, another? a uh, point of view that is not the intrinsic logic of um uh, of neo functionalism or the um power state right of uh, internal intergovernmentalism and um so here um uh my idea was try to mix or try to find interconnection between these big two uh, um, strand of uh, critical um, ideas. So looking at uh, Foucault, we know a lot of international um, governmentality studies have been uh, have used the um, idea of, of Foucault that uh, uh, an art of government uh, uses uh, techniques, right, to govern. So we need techniques and methods uh, to govern uh, a population, right? And a territory. And uh, I think here, William Walters has been quite um, Uh uh, a good author to define how techniques have have been used by Foucault and uh, uh, and in international governmentality studies. And he says there are three levels. So one is um, the level of techniques and then uh, at the level of the machine and then um, the level of inventing uh, completely uh, a new way of using techniques and machines. Uh, and of course, here we are. Um, so I, I, I probably this is the, the, my, the idea that I'm still working a lot uh, uh, on, but um, there is a way, uh, there is a um, um, Walters as well, and other 
authors have been uh, using Foucault and Deleuze and uh, the idea of the machine, of uh, the Deleuzean machine, right? And Deleuze in it, uh, himself is, was already thinking at well, the welfare state, the welfare, welfare as a machine, yeah. of, um, right? A tool on, uh, that is not the state, is not uh, beyond, that is uh, working in the state, above the state and beyond the state. Mm-hmm. And this is quite interesting about uh, the, and this was so the war machine, for example. He makes the example of the war machine and yes, the welfare course. machine. Yeah. Uh, so my idea was that the, so what I've, I've used this um, category to say, well, the neoliberal turn of the European Union that has been set with the Maastricht Treaty has used uh, the budget as a machine. Uh, that it it works on the on the member state beyond the member state and in the member state. This is what is the fiscal governance machine. Mm-hmm. It's a machine that uh, we use to cover to govern in the European space, uh, and that it puts uh, the budget, so the fiscal the, uh, the the necessity of having a balanced budget at the center of the way of governing the European, the economic um, space of uh, the European Union. There's a lot uh, to, to think about there. I was just thinking as you were um, wrapping that set of comments up there that, uh, you know, this is, this is a very significant interpretation um, for, uh, for example, for people who would advocate departing the European Union as some kind of remedy or uh, medicine for, uh, for, for, you know, dealing with austerity or something like this, because it's not like just because you leave the European Union that you can escape that machinic tendency. The, the, uh, the various machines that are discussed in your work are not necessarily working even just exclusively within the European Union. They're also yeah. beyond it as well. Um, they, 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 to they, say, the United Kingdom has, uh, in the 2012, has had the uh, one of the uh, stricted budget, uh, right? Mm-hmm. It has uh, implemented austerity as much as the Euro- other European states, even though it wasn't uh, necessary. Yeah, and Ireland, even um, just a, a little case study that I'm a bit more familiar with uh, myself. You know, Ireland was uh, engaging in austerity, um, uh, you know, in the context of 2008 before even the Troika had arrived. They were, you know, perhaps even more aggressive than the Troika were themselves in some instances. So so that's very interesting. I, wa- I want to stay with this um, focus uh, for a minute on... Um, the, the the way these sort of welfare machines and things like this work. Um, one interesting aspect of your work is the fact that you define this uh, new economic governance in terms of a kind of a hybridity. It's it's not just neoliberal, it's also ordo-liberal. And uh, it strikes me that um, by bringing in you know different sorts of um, ideologies apart from neoliberalism that you're kind of trying to be sensitive to historical development. Uh, for example, you note that this ordo neoliberal model didn't didn't just, you know, arrive on the scene. It had to struggle to displace previous models like the model of the social Europe. So 
I don't know, it might be interesting just to ask you if you can um, uh, clarify um, that that sensitivity to history in your work. Um, and, I, and I also wanted to mention, I mean, I don't I don't know if this, if this would necessarily be scholarship that you're familiar with, so I, I may be putting you at a disadvantage here, but, um, you know, th- th- there, there are those who, uh, we were just, as we were just saying a moment ago, those who sort of fetishize the idea of the European Union as a kind of a all-encompassing evil that we, if only we can exit it, Grexit it, Brexit it, whatever, you know, if only we can just get out of it, we'll be okay. Um, and, and that kind of sort of reductivist reading of the European Union is always and everywhere neoliberal avant la lettre, even, you know, going back to its very foundation. Um, you know, d- does this uh, sensitivity to history in your work help us maybe rethink some of those propositions without necessarily, of course, lionizing or making the European Union a heroic object? Um, it, at the same time, we can maybe be more sensitive to the contexts of its development. I have to say here, um, my influence of Neil Gramscian readings is evident. Uh, so the fact that the European Union, or um, it's, it has not always been like this, and it could be different. <laughs> so yes, yes. There is an open. Uh, so another European is Union not, is possible. Uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Well, this I don't know at the moment. But <laughs> let's see. <laughs> we'll see. I mean. Uh, let's see how different it is, the European Union, in this moment, as it was just one year ago. So what it has been voted, uh, well, let's see, the recovery fund, it is completely different from what we have seen just two years ago. Mm-hmm. So this is already quite important to set the fact that it has not always been like this. And there is, if there is always a space for struggles, resistance uh, to change the, the situation we have in front of us. Rather, if it, it has always been neoliberal avant lettre, it will always be neoliberal and there is no space for uh, any um, uh, for any transformation. There is not even space outside of the European Union for any transformation. So this is already like my... This is quite important, in my opinion, to 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 see, in any case, the possibility of uh, resistance and transformation. Rather, I don't know why we are doing critical studies uh, on the uh, on institutions. Uh, so, in any case, um, my inspiration here is von Apfelsdorn, and he has been um, he has been uh, studying. Uh, Especially the European in the Euro, the European Union in the nineties, and I I'm think sorry, he's a, Vanessa. Who is that again? So von Appeldorn. Oh, von Appeldorn. Okay. Yes, Bastion von um, Okay. Exactly, Bastian von Appeldorn. I think his uh, work in the nineties, especially, is quite interesting, and he looks at the European Union and the different projects mm-hmm. of European Union and how they have uh, fight. Uh, how they have fought between themselves and then at the end, the only at the end, the neoliberal project uh, was uh, um, was the, um, the winning one. And in any case, also the neoliberal project was um, it in the European space had to come to um, uh, come to an alliance somehow with other projects. So the mass, in the Maastricht Treaty, we have different ideas, even though they are all under the, um, the, uh, 
the hegemonic project of the neoliberalism. And this is where I got uh, inspired by, um, uh, by, on the other hand, I think a neoliberalism in, um, in the European Union is not simply the British or the Anglo-Saxon, sorry, neoliberalism that we know, mm-hmm. because it, uh, if we see the European Union has developed as a different uh, um, institution from other um, uh, free market, uh, um, uh, from other free uh, free market uh, institutions, so the NAFTA or the agreement uh, on uh, the um, uh, free market in Asia, they have developed as simply. Um, um, as a simply um, institution, as a simply free market area, rather the European Union, from a, being a, a, a single market area, has developed a common institutions and then a common um, um, a common currency. And um, so there has been more than simply neoliberal. Um, uh, ideas of a free market uh, established when the European Union has established uh, the uh, common institutions uh, and uh, the Maastricht Treaty and then the uh, Stability and Growth Pact. And that's where I think there has been an, uh, a meeting between ordo liberal ideas and neoliberal ideas. Gotcha. It has not always been, and it, not even now, it has never been. Um, Something uh, um, um, uh, a meeting that has uh, it's uh, uh, an open fight between right. neoliberal ideas and ordo liberal ideas in the European space, and this is as it has always there is not a neoliberal neo ordo liberal discourse that is set. No, it's an open fight between different ideas. That it means also between different. Uh, um, hegemonic projects between different ideas of Europe that in any case have set the European Union to be different from other international institutions. Mm-hmm. So that's what I define a neo neo and ordo liberal uh, uh, European Union. Very interesting. Um, so you know we've we've been talking for close yeah. to an hour now. Um, I want to just sort of begin to move maybe towards some conclu- some conclusions. Um, one of the things I was sort of struck by reading uh, your your piece, um, forthcoming piece in uh, interdisciplinary political studies, which you were kind enough to share with me. I think it's a it's a draft, but um, you you conclude making this very strong claim, which I, I found provocative, uh, which is that uh, there is more than simply a um, governmentality or, or macro level government uh, aspect to to the way this new uh, fiscal regime is operating. And we've already had you preface uh, the complexity of that uh, just in your answer to the last question. But um, here, here's a quote from uh, the ending of uh, Vanessa's uh, piece that, that I was reading here. The, she says, here we arrive at the limits of any governmentality approach since they are unable to answer any why question. 
Uh, for an in-depth understanding of the institutional answer to this crisis, we need to acknowledge the broader context of the economic crisis and the existing regime of capital accumulation, fostering an encounter between the Foucauldian toolbox and an anti-essentialist Marxism and a critical feminist political economy approach. The, there's, it's, it, that's obviously, you know, a hell of a way to end a paper <laughs> because it seems like you're just <laughs> beginning something. Uh, can you uh, maybe begin to flesh this out? And is this a, is this a kind of a, a research manifesto for Vanessa Bilanchetti moving forward from here? Is there a book on the horizon? What, what's, what's going on, Vanessa? Yeah, well, um, I would like to one day uh, to write a book on this, maybe. Um, so no, but um, I, I think international governmentality study have done a lot. Yes. Um, and they really have unpacked uh, what was the Washington consensus, what was the, as well the European Union, what was governance. So let's just think about the discussion about governance in 2005, 2006, 2007. Mm -hmm. that it looked like the best tool ever to uh, deal, um, uh, to govern the international, um, um, the international, the, the new global world. So their international governmentality studies have been a great tool to un unpack what it was beyond that discourse. In front of the crisis of 2008-2011, uh, what we have seen is that these um, problem to analyze or wanting to analyze the economic and um, so the fact that there has always been um, like a limit in international governmental studies, studies in front of any economic uh, context, uh, social economic context, has um, showed the limits of international governmental studies, especially in front of the uh, economic and the financial crisis. So that's why I think using what uh, Foucault can give us, especially in looking at discourses and uh, the relation between po power and no uh, knowledge and power, as we were saying before. Keeping that, we need to uh, uh, go through the difficulties of uh, looking at um, the socioeconomic context. Uh, and as I say, is that quote, capit capitalist accumulation. Right. As we know, we have a problem um, when we look at capital accumulation to an essential view of what is capital and what is capital accumulation. So that's why they are bringing in a non-essentialist uh, reading of uh, um, capital accumulation as much as what I think uh, it's um, that what, uh, how we can do that is really looking at feminist political economy. I think it has bring in a lot. Uh, especially during the economic and financial crisis in the toolbox of a non-essentialist uh, and the heterodox uh, uh, Marxism. Mm. So, um, and this, uh, to say that what we can have uh, looking at the, from a feminist political economy is uh, two things 
So uh, in feminist political economy, it's not possible to not take into consideration at the same time the micro level and the macro level. Because once we know that the economy is both what happens inside the house and at the same time what happens outside the house, so it is in in the household and outside the house, and it's this relation between what used to be private and what uh, it uh, it is public. This is the uh, the economy is both the micro level and the macro level. Uh, we we already can have uh, we ne- so we need to keep these two ideas together already uh, and that's at the basis of a feminist political uh, economy approach. We can already see how much um, uh, somehow Foucault and a non uh, essentialist view of Marx is already there. Um, and on the other hand, uh, what I, well, um, what I, I didn't really talk today about it, but uh, why a neo Gramscian idea? What I, sure. I see, especially uh, Gramscian, how it's being used in the cultural political economy. Mm-hmm. So as well, there um, that is something that comes up as, as well in some feminist political economy approach mm-hmm. is the interrelation between culture and the economy. Mm-hmm. So not. So this is, uh, mm, and I think this came out a lot in our discussion. So the right. fact that we, we the, um, to to study at an institution, said so uh, we we need to um, keep um, the eyes on two levels at the same time, and this is what is difficult. So the micro level and the macro level, or culture and the economy, yeah. <laughs> or um, yeah, right. Uh, so and um, it, it is difficult, uh, but at the same time, so we can see how much um, how much this has been done already, um, and uh, how much there is like some um, things that are they resonate uh, in these two different approaches. So this, the, in my last answer, I was talking about discourse, but we can see how much this um, question about how different discourse right, emerge and they uh, fight between themselves and how a discourse right, is defined is quite similar to the idea of uh, hegemonic projects somehow and uh, how the hegemonic projects emerge and fight um, and how they are uh, defined. So, um, and there, and I want, uh, I, I want to go in, uh, into that. Yeah. There is something that we have not talked about it, uh, and uh, because I think that it's not in the discussion of international relations, okay. uh, is the question of subjectivity. Uh-huh, hmm? uh-huh. So how, where, of course, Foucault and Marx have been um the 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 relation between Foucault and Marx has emerged actually a lot mm. even more than in in the analysis of uh, international institutions so um you know i i didn't uh, necessarily think i was going to ask you this question but seeing seeing as you raised it um you know what would be if 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 we're kind of trying to educate ourselves train ourselves to to follow in this research trajectory with you um are there are, is, are there current scholars or 
projects, research volumes out there that you would recommend that we could read that maybe would help us begin to to, to sort of tap into some of these um, methods or our, our, our directions of research that that you know that you yourself have found inspirational. Uh, right, there, there are. Um, well, I've been working a lot with uh, Jonathan Joseph on sure. the one hand, uh, of and uh, I've been um, reading a lot to Medzadra and Nielsen on the other hand. Ah, okay. Um, right. So and uh, all the discussion around uh, cultural, political economy, of course, um, it's definitely um, uh, it was definitely very inspiring. Mm. Um, so, okay. yeah, uh, cool. the, those were definitely the three main uh, um, reference in my uh, study. Um, great. great. Um, yeah. Okay, maybe before you go, if you have time, I don't want to keep you any longer, but I just feel like I have to ask you before you go, right? So um, this is the year where everything gets turned on its head in some ways. Uh, it's too soon to, to tell, probably, but is, is there or can you see ways in which uh, the coronavirus situation is is changing the orientation of your work or um, the, the way this ordo neoliberal regime is working in the European Union, for example? That's a really, <laughs> that's a really good question. Like, so now we, the recovery fund was voted and there is a, actually a big discussion, I think, if that uh, is, uh, is the recovery fund uh, completely transforming uh, the political economy of the European Union or it is as oh, it is uh, neoliberal as it was before and nothing mm -hmm. is changing right are we in front of a new public spending because the, we are talking about a lot of funds that will arrive uh, uh, to the states or uh, it is uh, as always um, or it, nothing is changing so I have to say there are there are funds. Italy it will be one of the um, it, it was one of the most affected states uh, states and uh, we will have uh, 210 billion arriving uh, well probably the next year. So there will be new public spending. Mm. On the other hand, these uh, public spending, these new European funds that will arrive to the to member states are still uh, in the same uh, economic framework. So are still voted and decided uh, in the same uh, economic and uh, financial, economic and institutional framework. So in one year, probably, we will have again the European Commission coming back to the European state to say, what, how, how much public debt do you have? How are you spending uh, the money? So the control of the European Commission to the European state at the moment is suspended because the Stability and Growth Pact is suspended. But we have no... There is, we have no idea if in one year or maybe even less, the, con the, uh, the control uh, of the European Commission will not start again and maybe even harder. So this is actually at the moment is quite open question. Like I would say, is it change that 
in front of these, and this is not simply in Europe, I would say, right? It's everywhere in the world. In front of this pandemic and in front of the complete um, uh, stop of the Europe, of the capitalist production, are we going to see or uh, witness a new economic, um, uh, a, a new uh, political economy shift? In the discourse, I would say at the moment we are not yet seeing a complete shift in the discourse. As, but we are seeing different. We are seeing uh, new policies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many interesting um, challenges on the horizon in terms of, yeah. uh, you know, the, the the likelihood of uh, perhaps even greater austerity in a few years' time. As uh, you know, we we are suddenly called to to pay back uh, under more difficult circumstances uh, debts that that uh, have even accumulated during this time, and then uh, the question of resistance, of course, you know, just um, yeah. how you know it's very hard to fight something that you don't know what it is, um, and uh, you know it's. Um, Something in a sense that, uh, in, in a in a sort of strange way, seems to be um, being generous, but at the same time, um, you know, it's it's uh, these are not forces that we're used to seeing behaving generously, and there's usually uh, a catch. So uh, you know, you've talked so much in your research about responsibilization and these sorts of things, and so these are always the quid pro quos that come along in capitalist life. Uh, there's no such thing as a as a free lunch. So, um, well, listen, uh, Vanessa, um, any last thoughts? Yeah, well, uh, let's say one um, in these um, difficult times. I think the. Um, to bring back feminist political economy, there is um, very interesting um, point on how actually we can um, see, um, right, foresee resistance in this, this difficult times. And I think the discussion about caring uh, and uh, how um, how resistance are around uh, the welfare state, welfare institutions, and uh, uh, what does it mean to care in these difficult times? What does it mean to care in era era of pandemic, right? And I think around that discussion there and how somehow to bring that discussion maybe on the in- international <laughs> international studies will be an interesting um, interesting way as well to deal with what we have um what we have in front of us. Okay. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, a, a research trajectory <laughs> for a book that Vanessa is hopefully going to write for us. Yeah. Uh, we'll have you back on the show when, when it's ready, Vanessa. How's that sound? 10 years done. Good. <laughs> oh, very good. In 10 years time. <laughs> good. I, I think we'll still be doing the fully ed, fully automated podcast in 10 years time. Please, <laughs> That'd be great. All right. Listen, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. Um, we'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Yes. Thank you for having me and this discussion. It was very inspiring.